This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Don't be a pussy, laser my fucking tits. Welcome back to The Girls on the Boys, a podcast dedicated to analyzing the Amazon series The Boys and the spicy world of soups and stereotypes. I'm Jen Adams. And I'm Rachel Reeves. And today we are talking about season two, episode four, In Defense of Almond Joy, (laughs) (laughs) aka nothing like it in the world. (laughs) It's true. Almond Joys get a bad rap and like... I kind of I kind of like them. I love them. They're some of my favorites. Um I did a uh, presentation uh, at work this week and of course since Halloween is around the corner I brought spooky stuff. Um mm-hmm. also it was about Stephen King, which of course when you tell me I can choose what I'm going to talk about, it's Stephen <laughs> King. Um, but I picked a bag of almond joy and I was like this is the greatest candy. It's so good. I know, even when they're like smushed, I'm like, "Ooh, I exactly. still am okay with them." Now, bit of honey, no. No, that's fuck that, that candy. That is a like tooth destroyer. I just went and got like my hair done this last week, and at the hair salon they had bit of honey. And like, who chooses to put bit of honey out? Like, right, who exactly. does this? <laughs> it's like people that have never had good candy, you know? Yeah, like out of all the candy in the world, mm-hmm. bit of honey. I just yeah. know. Thank we you. know that's I- left over. Come on. It's just give, gross. Give us the Snickers, you know? I like my to keep my teeth. Thank I, you very exactly. much. Exactly. Yes. I got enough trouble without having cavities, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say something else about candy, but let's move on because this is not a candy podcast. <laughs> I'm sure I'll remember it at some point and go on. Oh, it was about raisins. I do remember it. It was like, and I love chocolate covered raisins, um, but <laughs> somebody was like, yeah, raisins are great until you try chocolate. And then you're like, what the fuck are we doing? These are raisins. Chocolate covered raisins are delicious. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move into our next category, which is all about candy. I'm kidding. Um, It is Huey Cutie and the news where, I don't know, maybe news candy, if we're going to find out about our shows. Yeah, well, uh, I got nothing, so that didn't work <laughs> out. But, um, you know, obviously actors and writers can't promote the show right now due to the <laughs> ever ongoing strike, which we fully support. Exactly. Um, but, you know, Kripke can talk about it and other cool stuff he's done. So one thing, and I thought you might particularly find this enticing. So, for example, on August 31st, Kripke is supporting and participating in a supernatural-centric <gasps> strike that reunites 15 seasons of the Supernatural cast, crew, and writers. <gasps> They're all getting together to pick it together, and I think that that's just... Like, what a cool way to demonstrate kind of like what a communal effort every single given show, film, project is, and how many people a series can benefit and Mm -hmm. how many jobs are impacted by that. Because it's like 15 seasons. That's going to be a lot of people. It is. Yeah. And can't wait for those photos. I really hope Charlie is there because I love her. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) plus all my dreamy guys too, but 
I was going to say, I have a feeling we're going to see some boys crossover people um, yeah. out there on the picket line for this, even though it's a supernatural event. I bet yeah. there's will be a few familiar faces on that line. Oh, that would be so exciting. Yes, I'm definitely going to be reposting some of those pictures. And <laughs> I have a bit of news, although this is not news. It's just news to me. But <laughs> I just found out that Patrick Schwarzenegger is in Gen V. And my interest in the show just skyrocketed because I love him. So it's official. We're covering it. We're going to cover it. (laughs) It's only for Patrick Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Hey, you know what? That's okay. I have liked him in a few different things I've seen him in. So yeah, yeah, let's give it a shot. And uh, from what I gather, he may be playing a suit called Golden Boy. And just cannot imagine a more perfect name for somebody like Patrick Schwarzenegger, you know, who who looks yes. like Patrick Schwarzenegger. So mm-hmm. very excited. Uh, all right. Well, let's move into our next category, which is not about Almond Joys, but it is about the name of the game. The name of today's episode, Nothing Like It in the World. And here's our description. Road trip. The boys head to North Carolina to follow a lead on a mysterious suit named Liberty. And did you know a person's choice of candy bars might tell you if they're a serial killer? Watch and learn the warning signs. This episode could save your life. And I gotta say, the descriptions are really fun. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna need them to up their title game a little bit, you know? Yeah. What does nothing like it in the world mean? What does that tell me? I I, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could be that it it could relate to some comics thing. I'm sure. I don't know. Oh, don't yes. don't at me. But we would like to know. But I don't know. That like bit true. oh honey, bit oh Frenchy, something like that. Oh, I don't know. Bit of love. Bit of love. Bit of, yeah. Bit of communication. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. Um. So this episode was directed by Frederick. EO Toy, who we have seen before as he also directed season one, episode four, The Female of the Species, another pod fave episode. Mm -hmm. So he's back. Um, And just a reminder, um, he has also directed a lot of, I mean, a lot of great stuff, including some of the Watchmen series, Lost, Walking Dead, Snowpiercer, Evil, uh, The Terror, The Man in the High Castle, and 112263. So lots of cool stuff and you know i thought he handled the intimacy of this ep pretty well um because we see a lot of really kind of intimate heavy really important character interactions a lot of Mm -hmm. duos a lot of relationships and a lot of talking in this episode and i loved it so i thought he did great yeah yeah this isn't an especially action heavy episode but a lot happens and i agree it's like the quieter moments but i think he handles them very very well mm-hmm. um well all right let's catch up with where our soups are before we just dive right on in all right with our next category called sup with the soups so homelander tries to badger powers out of his son and gets his wish but not in the way he'd hoped News about Compound V has leaked and many soups are sad. Meanwhile, the boys are on a boat trying to deliver Kenji to Grace Mallory in exchange for Becca's location. Unfortunately, a whale gets in the way. Oh, Lucy. I know, poor Lucy. And I wrote that. And then for the rest of the night, I had the words get in the way song in my head (laughs) all night, which is a good song. But um, all right. Butcher saves Huey. Kenji smashes smashes Homelander and Stormfront turns out to be a supervillain and a racist murderer. 
She kills Kenji right in front of Kamiko's eyes, and Vought uses the ensuing destruction to distract from the Compound V scandal. So, all in a day's work in the superhero world. (laughs) All right, well, let's go. Let's dive right in and talk about our bad boys. Let's see. So much to start with. I kind of want to save Stormfront because I think she starts, she like kind of bookends the episode. So sure. let's, let's go to Homelander because he is terrifying in this episode. Homelander is Homelander-ing so much in this episode. <laughs> like just when you think like Homelander is like, all right, this is who he is. He just like one ups himself mm-hmm. and literally it's not a really easy th- <laughs> oh god oh god this episode i was Ooh. like i couldn't believe that and just it's it's wild like he is just burning bridges left and right with mm-hmm. no like doesn't care like this is actually i have a feeling we're gonna see homelander even worse but th- there's definitely some uh no fucks given in this episode with homelander yeah it does feel like crossing a threshold you know because we start out now, did you uh, think that that was actually Madeline? Okay, I did not think it was Madeline. I thought maybe it was like a dream or like mm-hmm. him, like having, you know, some sort of internal thing. And then when it's revealed that it's actually Doppelganger, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I know, that poor guy. Ooh. That poor guy, and like, what does Homelander have over him that he's just got doppelganger like hanging out in this remote location at mm-hmm. a moment's notice, willing to, you know, transform into Madeline and just fulfill Homelander's full Madeline fantasy and say exactly what he wants him to say and do whatever he wants him to do. Mm-hmm. Also, like, but it's kind of surprising that Homelander would be that vulnerable with another soup you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. he must have something good on doppelganger or doppelganger must be really afraid because like he's actually being pretty like this is stuff that nobody outside of madeline has ever seen homelander do yeah exactly i was thinking that too and i think from the scene at the very end he knows he can read Homelander very yeah. well, you know, and it reminds me kind of of what um, Translucent said right before uh, with to Huey is like my real power is reading people. And I think mm. like after imitating people so long, I think that's part of his talent. But like he knows exactly what to tell Homelander. The moment it's so funny. I love Anthony Starr in this episode because the moment when he turns into doppelganger and he just sits up and he's like, turn back, turn back, turn back. Yeah. Hilarious. But he knows exactly what to say to get him right back on. And it's like, you're the most important man in the world. Which it's is so gross. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. Um, yes. But we also see that he is pissed at Stormfront. He is very jealous. He is very cranky, and he's just walking mm-hmm. around like, like you said, just blowing up bridges. Um, he attacks Starlight, and I, I almost say Twilight. He attacks Starlight. Have we ever seen him be that aggressive with one of the seven before? No, I don't think we've seen him be that physically aggressive. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, he's threatened them in a multitude of other ways, but to be like to put his hands on somebody like that. Mm-hmm. like he's definitely um losing it a yeah. little bit and like really struggling with the thought of losing power and losing his position like he is 
not handling that well and it's not even like he has but it's just the threat that he could that he feels this power kind of slipping away Mm -hmm. and he is not processing it well so yeah like like actually he's like choking out starlight in the elevator yeah yeah and it's funny if he wasn't terrible and doing a whole bunch of bad awful things i would say in a bubble i'm not defending him this is progress for his character because Mm -hmm. He has been so afraid of how people perceive him. And I don't think that's good for anybody, regardless of what it causes you to do. And I think this is kind of an evolution of him kind of realizing, thanks to Stormfront, who maybe we should kind of talk about in conjunction with this, like that he doesn't need everyone to love him as much as he thinks he does. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting when she kind of points that out, like, you know, you don't necessarily like you have fans. I have soldiers, I guess is what she's saying. And just recognizing the difference Mm -hmm. and just like, you know, you don't need people to love you. It just, I guess it depends what your end goal is. And for somebody like Homelander and as we kind of learned Stormfront who have sort of different motivations than say, you know, Starlight or, even I, I mean I don't know we don't know very well but even like Black Noir or mm-hmm. like some of the others their motivations are a little bit different that it's not necessarily fans that maybe they should have at this point in time considering mm-hmm. all the shit that's gone down yeah yeah and I think it's kind of an important realization for him and again he is bad I feel like I'm like in Oppenheimer saying bombs are bad you know just <laughs> let everybody know I'm not defending Homelander um but I feel like it's kind of a pivotal moment for him where it's like he realizes because one thing Stormfront says is you don't need everyone to like you. You can't make everyone like you now. It's impossible. You need the right people to like you. And she Mm -hmm. says that you need them to be angry. But I think she means you need the right kind of people to like you and be rile upable. You know, you need to be able to get them on board. And I think Homelander is realizing that's kind of what he's been pushing Madeline to do. And I think Stormfront just kind of puts a label on it. You know, it's like yeah. that's why supervillain matters. It might not pull well, like in that focus group, most people didn't like it, but he knows that it's going to work with the people he needs it to work with, you know. I know. I just thinking about like who is Homelander fans, and right? I don't, I don't. I don't like that. That's I scary. don't either. Because uh, <laughs> you know, they, there's probably some overlap with some real life figures that are Homelander fans. Oh, you think Homelander fans? Yeah. <laughs> I did love watching him watch all of those memes go by. Like, I know. Oh, Homelander discovers memes. <laughs> yeah, oh. just like just so mad. Also, I thought it was really funny at one point. Like Grace Mallory points out, like, oh yeah, like something about the president. Like, are they going to go after the president next? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah. There's a president in this world. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It's not just Homelander is not the president, you know, but it feels yeah. like that in a lot of ways, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think another thing that I think is really interesting, he says something to Maeve and we're going to talk about Maeve in a little bit because um, there's a lot to say there. But he looks at her and I think this is kind of at the crux of what his issue is, is he says, I am just at my wits fucking end with the lies. And yeah. I think. He, for so long, has been happy to just let people kiss his ass all the time and blow smoke and lie to him and tell him how wonderful he is. And I think now that he can kind of see how much bullshit that is, like, 
he doesn't like it nearly as much as he thought because he knows that there's really nothing behind it and that people will jump ship as soon as somebody like Stormfront comes, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think like Madeline gave him such a, I mean, a, a literal and, you know, emotional sense of security mm-hmm. and knowing that like she, for, for better or worse, did always kind of have his back and sort mm-hmm. of protected him. And now we see that like, well, he can't really rely on Vought. Obviously things mm-hmm. are sort of up in the air with what, how Vought's going to pan out publicly and behind the scenes. And then you also see like with Stormfront, now he's getting sort of like this social campaign against him mm-hmm. and he just can't, there's nothing for him to rely on. Ashley is pretty weak. You know, he has control over her, but at the same time, like what is she actually doing for him other than just whatever he tells her to. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting to see Madeline come back at this really critical time when mm-hmm. he just wants to feel, I think, safe in his position but he's continually reminded that he's not. <laughs> yeah, he just wants mommy, you know? I know. And I think there's part of him that is sick of that being a lie too, you mm-hmm. know, even though it's a lie he asked for. He's like, I know this isn't real and this makes me feel stupid. Um, and it, yeah, I think he'd rather know the truth yeah. than, yeah, like so he can like deal with it a little bit, mm-hmm. even though it's clearly not really great for his mental health at the moment. But I think he would just rather know the truth so that he can kind of deal with it than just sort of have a false facade of what's going on and just but uh, it's just really frustrating because just because like he's on sort of this truth campaign he's also pushing it on everybody else Mm -hmm. yeah like we see him do with Maeve Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's like okay well that's not fair like you're on your journey Homelander like right doesn't necessarily mean everybody else is right there with you yep but doesn't surprise me at all and the reason he does that is because he gets called out i loved the hashtag uh soups so white or vot so white you know heroes so white heroes so white yeah which i was like i don't know how much we have i'm trying to kind of clock how much of that like direct references we have seen from the show it's not going to be the last time and i love it yeah i thought that was super interesting because (laughs) super interesting super (laughs) interesting um i don't think they have pointed it out that much but i love and i love the fact that it was like maria menounos who was pointing it out yeah because it's like that it's clearly like that high up in kind of the public zeitgeist conversation that you know they think they're going on just this kind of like fluffy puff piece you know, entertainment tonight kind of thing. And then here she is like, hey, how do you address, you know, what do you have to say about diversity within Mm -hmm. the seven? Because um, clearly it's not that high a priority. Why is that? Mm -hmm. And he attempts, I would, okay, he attempts to distract and kind of pull the focus away and outs Maeve right then and there. And Mm -hmm. I guess like that, did surprise me I feel like that was crossing a line even for Homelander and I was actually kind of surprised that happened I don't know about you but oh yeah I knew that her relationship with Elena was going to come out at some point but I have forgotten how it happened and I was not expecting it now that I'm watching this I'm realizing that I I must have been distracted while I was watching a lot of season Mm. two because a lot of this is like stuff that I kind of in the back of my brain knew was coming but I couldn't remember the details but 
Like I gasped when he said that. And I've seen the show yeah. a bunch. Um, but yeah, I feel like it is one totally a deflection, you know, and he just kind of threw her under the bus um, in a way, you know, and I want to talk about Maeve's response to it maybe uh, when we get to our Spice Girls section. But yeah, it's just such a, a shitty thing to do for one of the few people in the seven that has her back as much as yeah. she can, you know? Yeah. And I think, I mean, you see it on her face. Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, she did such a good job at like conveying that, that, you know, the actress, not, not necessarily Maeve, but just the fact that I don't think she ever expected. I I actually don't even think that she knew that he knew. I don't think so either. Yeah. And then to find out not only does he know, but he's going to just reveal it like right here, right now, Maria Menounos, we're going to just throw this out there. And it just means, yeah, yeah, means nothing to him. And he's also using it as a way to kind of save his own ass mm-hmm. sort of it was like like it was the whole conversation was really disturbing but you know good for you maria menounos for like mm-hmm. actually getting some answers because yeah he uses her as a like a qualifier like no no we're diverse see she's right. you know she's a lesbian and then also like black noir who we don't actually know like what he is so he's everybody and it was like right. okay that was that's bad yeah <laughs> oh yeah he uh he could use some sensitivity training <laughs> at the some... least yes it reminded me in the early season where they're like this is why we script a train because mm, mm-hmm. you can't let him go out without a net which speaking of Let's talk about A-Train because I think it's very interesting given this conversation about diversity in the, in the seven <laughs> yes. that they're firing A-Train. Yeah. And it happened. He got kicked out before this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Although it sounds like it has been in the works. And honestly, I think it's been in the works since um, the last episode when Homelander saw him kind of struggling to run, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, he sees, it's kind of your worst nightmare when you're in A-Train's position. He sees Sonic, Shockwave, Shockwave, who was, I believe, the guy he was racing in season one. Saw Shockwave just getting on an elevator, you know. Um, Yeah, that's pretty brutal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, why else would he be here? Yeah, Ashley's like, oh, no, it's for Vot for Tots. Vot for Tots. (laughs) I fucking love Fat Kids. Use me. Which I love. I continue to love Jesse T. Usher. Um, also, it reminds me of Scott's Tots, which is the one episode of The Office I cannot Whoa. watch. So brutal. So oh my God. I know. Yeah. Which one would you, re- I don't know, which is worse, A Train getting fired or Scott's Tots? I'd say Scott's Tots. Scott's I think. Tots. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, honestly, like, I don't, like, of course, A Train didn't want this to happen. But ultimately, it's like, dude, like, you're health like we know like you literally you can't perform your job and it's a health issue like you need help and like it but even home like homelander i feel like in the past has been pretty good about like spinning things even if they know it's bullshit but he kind of like at least pretends like it's real like no Mm -hmm. no man we just want you to get better right you know but here it's like he's not even trying like he's saying the words but Mm is just saying them for saying them's sake, you know? It's yeah. He literally rough. says, etc. Yeah. It's like, we'll always be oh, friends. Etc. Etc. Like, wow. Ugh. It's such a big fuck you. It is. And um, I was gonna ask you, so he's leaving because of medical reasons mm-hmm. that, you know, perhaps 
partially you know well, I guess no I guess they are because it's like a result of compound V probably yeah. you know sustained in the line of duty per se and um do you think that Vought's gonna help him get the medical attention he <laughs> needs no not at all <laughs> I think you know Vought is like the NFL you know and I do not think that I think they are going to do so as long as they have to to look good and to look mm-hmm. like they care and you know even the illicit use of compound V was part of homelander's whole deal yeah. too so like he you know it's just poor a train you know but no he's not he's not going to get the help he needs because he needs addiction help too you know yeah. i mean what do we think's going to happen when he's got nothing you know Ugh. and yep. it just makes me so sad like i wonder if he knew how much time he had in the seven it how many things he would have done differently you know yeah like with yeah. papa you know Oh, yeah. Uh, well, and how fast they would just, you know, cut him loose, like right. turn on him. Exactly. It's like, what well, what was all this for? Yeah. Like he literally killed the woman that he loves for what? <laughs> right. Well, and it's like you delude yourself into thinking that you're special and that you're irreplaceable yeah. and that you are the one that is different. You're the exception to the rule. And I think eventually everybody, even Homelander, finds out that no, they don't, they really don't care about you. You know, it's like mm-hmm. your company is not your family. If he will cheat on her, he'll cheat on you. You know, like yeah. when people show you who they are, believe you or believe them. And I think it's just, it's heartbreaking to see him realize all of this. Yeah. No good. <sighs> I mean, again, he's not a good guy. He's on our bad guys list because... He's still in my bag column, and he also ran through Robin. Um, but oh yeah, oh yeah, there's that yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, that's the thing. That's the genius of this show is it makes you forget that kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, all right. Let's talk about. I was one. I was thinking about you as I was watching this episode because we get a little more black noir in this episode. No, I loved it. He just shows up and um, looking for Butcher. Yeah, like. <laughs> And not only like looking for him, like determined, like mm-hmm. we see him sit down next to, I can't remember her name. I'm so sorry. Is it birthday uh, girl? But the, what, we think? Yeah. Birthday yeah. girl sits down. She's, you know, <laughs> eating an almond joy as one does. Right. Cause they're so good. And <laughs> yeah, like makes her basically find butcher mm-hmm. then and there. And I'm, I guess not fully sure why. Like Black Noir is so invested in finding Butcher at this moment in time. I guess maybe mm-hmm. he's just doing his job, but I would like to, you know, I think that there's something maybe underlying this this hunt. But yeah, yeah. find find and ultimately does. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I liked having a little bit of Black Noir. Not yeah. sure what he's up to, but yeah, but it's more than we've gotten before, and yeah. you know. The show is so great at planting seeds. Um, yeah. No spoilers, but we see a seed that is going to grow, which I'm very excited about. Um, well, speaking of developing from seeds that started several episodes ago, let's talk about <laughs> Stormfront. I'm curious. Okay, so there's two tracks that we need to talk about with Stormfront. There is yeah. Stormfront and Homelander, and then there's what we find out at the end. So let's talk about Stormfront and Homelander first. She is very vocally calling out Vought, and I think you mentioned in our last episode, or maybe it was two episodes ago, that there doesn't seem to be any consequences to her, yeah. like, like really, what is the word I'm looking for? Like, 
causing a riot against Vought. I don't think yeah. protest, protest. That's the word I'm yeah, looking for. Yeah, she's like inciting and instigating. Right. <laughs> like a right, like, you know, a protest and a movement mm-hmm. against her employer. Yeah. And Homelander. Yeah. And I don't understand at this point in time anyways like why Vought is letting her do this mm-hmm. because she's it's not like she's being vague it's not like she left and is like hey fuck them I have things to say like she's still working for them right and it's, so it's it's very kind of confusing why they're letting her get away with that um but I'm sure it's all big of a you know a larger master plan perhaps but mm-hmm. She's doing a pretty damn good job at it, though. I can tell you that. She is. She is very effective. I think she knows how to work with social media. She mentions her five guys with laptops just churning out memes, which I thought was really funny. Um, But she is very effective. And I think she um, is what Homelander has been kind of trying to do, but she's doing it much more effectively. And I wonder... I, I don't think Ashley has the power to do anything. Like she is, she's not just kind of like Homelander's little like yeah stooge. She, I feel like she can't really stand up to anybody, you know? Right. Um, But Mr. Edgar's not getting involved in this either, which could, so a part of me is like, maybe they're hoping that she will kind of go around the corner and cause people to demand them getting in the military or demand them do some kind of thing that they can't mm-hmm. do because of, I don't know, but it is it is notable given everything we saw in the first season about kind of towing the company line and always and how like harsh Madeline was on that to see her just kind of like I wonder what Madeline would say, you know? Yeah, I wonder if it's like truly all just like you know smoke and mirrors kind mm-hmm. of thing because that way you know she's putting off such like a persona like mm-hmm. so kind of radical and outspoken and progressive and you know dare I say liberal like that like she's like very much like that kind of person but then behind the scenes we see her doing all this incredibly awful things and I'm wondering if it's like they're letting her get away with it because if they believe her to be this mm-hmm. well then there's no way she could be that right right mm-hmm. and so it's it's kind of allowing this sort of secret hidden agenda to go on behind the scenes mm-hmm. and she's using she's literally using herself to distract from herself yeah and sort of like be able to operate behind the scenes and nobody i mean she would literally probably be the last person you would suspect right to yeah. be doing these Killing 59 people motivated by such disgusting motivations. Yes. Yeah. And I think maybe that's a good kind of way to transition into the liberty of it all. And it kind of reminds me of how, you know, if you look at far, far, far right and far, far, far left, they actually end up very close together, you know? Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of. You know, that that shaved half of her head is doing a lot of work, I think, um, (laughs) to kind of help her stay on the progressive side of everything that she's saying. Mm -hmm. She's real close. I mean, we used the word insight, and that's a word we've used a lot recently to talk about something else. Um, So we find out um, that Liberty 
is this super racist, awful hero from way back in the 60s or 70s. Uh, We visit a woman who's in her, I think, 40s now, and she's remembering when she was a little girl, and Liberty punched her brother to death in his poor head. Brutal. Oh, my God. It's so upsetting. Can you imagine being a child and seeing that with your loved one? Yeah. Um, But we find out that Stormfront is Liberty. Has an age today. So what are your thoughts on this whole development? I mean, I kind of suspected this was going to be the case. Wasn't Mm -hmm. sure exactly how it was going to be revealed. And this is a pretty, you know, intense reveal. Um, Quite curious how she's able to just sort of stay so young, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's possible, I guess, like um, we see Starlight saying like, oh, well, you know, compound v affects everybody differently clearly like maybe in some people it kind of gives them this fountain of youth sort of Mm -hmm. effect um and oh what like what she's saying to the to the boy as well is just so disgusting Mm -hmm. and really disturbing and it's just like has she so she's been kind of doing this i guess it's like where has she been (laughs) right yeah because we know she came out of Portland. Yeah. And we know, and we don't really know that much about Liberty yet, except that she was yeah. like an old, like, I don't know, pinup era soup, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to learn more about that history because mm-hmm. this is like, what was her role in the past? And then, yeah, where has she been? What right. has prompted this shift? Yep. Yeah. Why the return? You know? Mm-hmm. Why now? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well. I will say all shall be revealed in time. <laughs> I hope so. And there's one more bad boy that uh, I kind of want to save for shock and awe to talk about. Because sure. that uh, I was kind of surprised by how this played out. So let's move into our Spice Girls uh, section. And after not really seeing a whole bunch of Frenchie recently, we get we get some Frenchie action today. And mm-hmm. I'm just now thinking, oh, yeah, that's another hookup that we see. You know, there's. There's a lot. There's like four, three attempted four, which not cool, Frenchie. You got to get consent, <laughs> especially for a first kiss. Um, but so Frenchie, he's very upset. He's doing either some crushed up pills or he's doing some coke. They say he's been high for days. He's trying to comfort Kamiko, but I don't think he knows what she needs or he knows yeah. how to do it because, you know, I don't want a first kiss after my brother just died you know no and especially when like they were involved you know not you know obviously that's not what they wanted to happen but they Mm -hmm. were involved in his death and capture and all of that so Mm -hmm. but this is an interesting development because it's the first overt romantic advance I think we've actually seen him make and I mean I think You know, he's calling her a moncor, and mm-hmm. we can tell he really cares about her, but this is, I think, the first time, maybe the first time he's shown her that he would want to be more than friends, you know? Right. This was, it was interesting to see Frenchie in this capacity, because mm-hmm. obviously we know that he's been involved in drugs, and but I don't think we've seen him do drugs since, like, one of the very first episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of seemed like, you know, he was in it for money, reasons, and that sort of thing, but wasn't necessarily a user. To, so to see him kind of 
resorting to this, mm-hmm. I think, just because he, perhaps he feels like so helpless in being able to do anything. He just needs to, you know, escape or whatever his motivations there are. Um, but I feel like we're seeing some of these characters regressing yeah, a little bit. Like with Frenchie, it's kind of going back to some old ways. Well, I mean, we literally see him go back to like his old girlfriend or his old, mm-hmm. you know, partner <laughs> of some sort. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, same thing with Kamiko too. We see her kind of take a step back, I think, in her mm-hmm. trust and development of where we've seen her being willing to open up to the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, I mean, it's difficult to watch them both. And I don't think he would have, I don't, I don't know. I think he's just really so desperate to help her. He was trying anything and maybe like in his head thought, like maybe if I let her know how much I care, uh, but no, she didn't, she didn't react well to that. So yeah. And she uh, could tear his head off too. So. Oh know. yeah. She was, she was pissed. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I admire the restraint, Kamiko. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, I cannot remember his partner's name. The woman who always reminds me of the mummy too. Um, yes, her, like yes. really dark exotic look uh-huh. that I love. Sorry, I shouldn't say exotic, but um, she says, "You think that by saving her, you can make amends for all the people you hurt, for those children lamplighter burned." So again, we're seeing this this past that he has involving lamplighter. We still don't know a ton about it, but I think this is a really important insight into what he is actually trying to do because I think. He wants to comfort Kamiko, but he also wants this comfort that he can't really name for himself. And so if he can maybe, I don't know, save her and kind of try to get some mutual comfort back, I think he's thinking that's going to make him feel better. But, you know, I think it's also interesting. You think that everybody around him, too, has sort of some connection to somebody else in Mm -hmm. a like a romantic or you know even just like a love way but not doesn't necessarily have to be romantic or a little bit because we see obviously Huey has Starlight he had Robin and then Butcher and Becca and MM and his family like they all have these other people in their life and I think Frenchie kind of you can't blame him but kind of put Kamiko as that person in his life Mm -hmm. and so to see her kind of pull back in that way like that has it it seems like it's really difficult for him especially when he thought like okay like I have somebody here that I can really see myself with and that I can Mm -hmm. really like care about and then to see to feel like I don't know we've all been around people that we care about and seen them suffering and it's just you feel so helpless when you can't help them and you don't know how to help them and can drive you crazy yeah well, and it reminds me of that call we saw Huey make last time that is yeah. mentioned in this episode where he's like, he's looking at, God, I keep wanting to say Twilight. He's looking at Starlight as his second wind and she yeah. hasn't agreed to be that, you know? Yeah. It's a lot of pressure to put on another person. It is. Yeah. Especially somebody who is going through as much as Kamiko and Starlight are going through, mm-hmm. you know? Um, And it's interesting because I, I agree. I do think both of these characters are regressing. And it's interesting to see that in an episode where I feel like so many people are moving forward, you know, but I, it, but moving forward, isn't, I guess 
like Homelander, I think he's moving forward. Yeah. Is it in a good way? Right, exactly. I don't think so. I don't think so either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like Maeve is being forced forward in some ways, mm-hmm. but like that's also not necessarily a good thing. So it's interesting because it's like you can move forward or you can move backward, but I think that neither one is necessarily good or bad. Yeah. It's just maybe, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting to see it shown in both ways, I feel like. Yeah, and I think we see a lot of it forward and backward movement for good and for bad in this episode. It's a very like yeah. emotionally heavy, emotionally dynamic episode. And I'm thinking this might be the most time we've spent on the Spice Girls list, you know, because mm-hmm. I think this episode really heavily focuses on the heroes rather than the villains. There's just not as much going on. Like we haven't talked about the deep yet. We haven't seen him yet in the episode. Yeah. We're going to talk about him though. Um, but let's talk about, let's talk about Huey and Starlight because we've already kind of mentioned them. So you in our last episode said they're going to need to talk about some stuff. And I know yeah. we've both been kind of wanting them to just be able to sit down and talk. How Do you feel like we got that? I feel like we did. I think especially, I think they both maybe confronted some feelings mm-hmm. and kind of, because they've been separated and obviously a lot has been going down. So I think there was a lot of unresolved issues and a lot of unresolved feelings, and a lot of loose ends about what are we, do we trust each other? How do we feel about each other? Mm-hmm. And so I think they got a lot of answers in this mm-hmm. episode, especially, okay. So one of the scenes where I cried is when they're, so Starlight goes on a road trip with MM and Huey mm-hmm. um, to go see Liberty for, for a couple of reasons. She's not doing so hot mm-hmm. and just needs to get away but also, I you know, I think Huey was right. Like, hey, we're going to go to potentially go to a soup's house. It might be good to have our own soup with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they're singing to We Didn't Start the Fire. Oh, yes. And like they both know the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh, my God, that's so cute. Because it's like that moment when you connect with somebody and you realize like what you've been feeling isn't false yeah. or made up. It's like, no, I really... This is like somebody I really care about. Like, I really like this person. It's not Mm -hmm. just, you know, a false feeling or, you know, just lust or whatever. Like, there's something more here. Yeah. And it was so cute. And I think that they both kind of connected over that and sort of rekindled their friendship, too. Mm -hmm. And Um, I think built back some trust. I think, yes. you know, yeah, yeah. especially like knowing of... um, Huey's connection to Billy Joel with his mom, too. You know? Yeah. So that was that was so sweet to see. But I think at the end of the trip, they both kind of took different things away from that. Mm-hmm. Oh, because they because they hook up. Too. They do. Yes. I was very happy about that because it was so it was, sweet, too. It was very sweet. And they both deserved it, you know. Yeah. And I think they both like that you know solidified a lot of things Mm -hmm. um like where they're both at but ultimately at the end like Huey's like let's move you know like let's move forward like I want I think he would be like let's be boyfriend girlfriend Mm -hmm. like let's make this a thing whereas she is like we can't ever do this again yeah and I think that she probably as a soup dealing with the seven dealing with Homelander on a daily basis living in Vought Tower I think she understands the risks of that relationship Mm -hmm. um in a more realistic way than he does yeah I don't think that he fully understands the weight of what it would mean 
or the position that it would put both of them in, the danger it would put, well, everybody, I guess, not just them, but everybody around them, the danger it would put them in Mm -hmm. um, if they were like to fully commit to each other. So I can't blame her. I don't either. I think that was a smart choice, you know, and I kind of, I love and hate where they leave each other in this episode because I think you're right. I think they have both kind of realized these feelings are real. Mm -hmm. If things were different, we would be together, but things aren't different. And I was wondering, did you think she was going to tell her about what, tell Huey what happened with Homelander in in the elevator? No, I, I also think that like, well, it wouldn't do any good. Yeah. I, I also have to say, like, clearly he was quite aggressive with her and crossed a lot of lines in that mm-hmm. conversation. But I think that she stood up for herself in a way that she didn't necessarily with the deep. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was something along the lines of fuck you. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you I think know? she might have actually said fuck you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think that. Yes, it was like a thing, but she held her own mm-hmm. as much as she could in that situation. So yeah. it's it's like she didn't necessarily have to like run to Huey and be like, I, I mean, obviously it was upsetting and she's upset by it, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like she had to go to him and be like, oh my God, this happened. Because mm-hmm. I think she was able to like handle it as best she could. And it's like, I don't know. It's Homelander. Like what are, what good is it going to do to get Huey more upset at home? Right. <laughs> well, and it might put Huey in danger too, which is, I right. think, a parallel to what we see Becca kind of talking about in a little bit. And if I were to be very cynical and probably unfair to both of these women, I would say, you know, they are doing emotional work for the men in their lives to try to protect them, mm. you know? I, do, yes. I think that's maybe oversimplifying it a little bit, but I definitely think there are seeds there of like, I have to deal with this on my own because this would just make things worse for my uncontrollable man who can't control his temper. I don't think that's necessarily true for Huey, but I do think it is true for Butcher. Um, Yeah. And before we move on, is there anything else we want to say about Huey and Starlight? Because the whole Butcher-Rebecca thing is a whole nother conversation that I definitely want to talk about. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, that's a whole other thing. I, (laughs) I, um, I have hope for those two crazy kids. I do too. You know, it's just like sliding doors or something. You know, the timing's just, or what is that movie with like Keanu and like the mailbox? Oh, I think it's called the mail, the lake house, the lake house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like timing's just not right. Maybe they'll meet in the middle. Yeah, they can just keep keep leaving letters in the mailbox and maybe someday. (laughs) But I do think that it's interesting where... To, for her to end the episode saying we are all alone we don't yeah. deserve happiness that feels like something the starlight we first met wouldn't believe you know oh yeah and so I, I think it shows um how far she she's close to rock bottom I don't know if she's at rock bottom but she is like emotionally I think she just feels abandoned you know and yeah I mean, I mean imagine it lost your dad lost mm-hmm. your mom realize you lost your dad because you lost your mom yeah lost your faith uh, you know lost your faith lost your origin story mm-hmm. <laughs> lost you know your entire sense of being yep almost lost, lost your life your, several lost times your dream yeah and like what you know your career was gonna be lost all your hope and faith in the seven lost like lost gecko. everything lost gecko <laughs> lost gecko 
I don't know. She's lost a lot of yeah. things. And while there are a few bright spots like Huey, I think that are giving her hope. I think she's realizing like, ultimately, the only thing I can really truly count on is myself. Yeah. And I'm going to just go with that for now. Yeah. And I feel like that is, the, I think the reason it doesn't feel like rock bottom is because I feel like she is going to be able to go forward from there yeah. because that is yeah. an important realization that a lot of us have to get to at some point is that I can't depend on other people. I've got to do it myself. And mm-hmm. as harsh as that can sound, the good side of it is you have yourself, you know, and yeah. you, you can lean on yourself. And I think she is strong enough to be able to move forward. Um, love that her song came on two different stations. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. just a, a nice little touch. It reminded me of one of the Greatest movies of all time, Urban Legend, when Pacey turns on the radio and <laughs> we have the Dawson's Creek song. Um, mm-hmm. Was so mad at MM for ruining that Billy Joel moment. I was like, come on. But yeah, I like that we got a little bit more of MM here. I did too. Like, yeah. You want to talk about him? Yeah. Like not just screen time, but like actually we get some some story and yeah. like actually kind of address his OCD, which I don't think like we've noticed and picked mm-hmm. up on that but i don't think anybody else has actually acknowledged that correct you're right yes nobody okay. has like they've mentioned you like things clean they've mentioned you like your aloe you know so it's a thing yeah but no nobody has mentioned it in kind of through the lens of like mental health or like a disorder yeah. and he calls it a disease which i think is really interesting you know as a person who has ocd too i thought the way he kind of views it. He's worried about that he got it from his dad. He's worried that he's going to pass it on to his daughter. Um, And I don't think we've really seen a whole lot of negativity to this, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, you know? Yeah. And I thought it was interesting too, how they kind of framed the OCD, like, because yes, obviously I think that they're talking about the actual OCD, um, but I think that they were also talking about just his dad we find out like his dad was obsessed with bot too right Mm -hmm. and so it's not just like the repeated behaviors and like that kind of thing but also like uh, just letting your life kind of get so wrapped up and focused on something that you lose everything around you and I think Mm -hmm. that that's you know partially what happened with his dad who apparently was a lawyer who went off who went off who went well off and went after um Vought yeah I think mm-hmm. yeah I think he I imagine him like filing complaints and like appealing things or like you know trying to really go after them through legal means because yeah. you're a civilian with no powers you know that might be all you have you know right um the first thing I have in my notes about him is he's in charge and I feel like he's just always in charge you know yeah. and while I think he's very good at it I think and there's a reason they turn to him when they need a level head. I feel like this episode really shows the cost of that, you know, because mm-hmm. part of, and there's no real way, there's nothing that OCD comes from, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know, it can be passed down, it can be developed. It's kind of like, like anxiety, you know? Um, yeah. But I think some common threads are people that are put in positions of responsibility that are maybe outsized what they can actually handle. And just thinking mm-hmm. about, how he is always turned to to be the one to take care of shit when everything seems to be going off the rails, I think. Yeah. And he's so good at it, but I think this shows that it is hard for him too, you know? And it's nice to hear him just 
talk about a memory, like a happy memory, have an, a fun, nice conversation with somebody. Yeah. I love seeing him bond with Annie, you know? Yeah, I loved that because I think that, I mean, we see so many different relationships in this episode, mm -hmm. you know, and different different kinds of relationships. And we see all these sorts of like different ways you can connect with people. And I like that they show just kind of more of like a budding sort of friendship or like mm -hmm. not even, but just being able to connect with somebody on something as kind of that seems as silly as sugar, mm -hmm. <laughs> but just they learned so much about each other in that moment, I mm -hmm. think, you know, just over a donut and just how powerful those little moments with just, you know, the people around you can be, even if it's not somebody like you're romantically interested in. But mm -hmm. I think that they both took a lot from that conversation. I think so too. And I think there's also like, kind of this undercurrent of indulgence because we also hear Annie talk about weight and her mom never letting her like get sugar which I think yeah you know is not surprising given mm -hmm. you know who what we know about her mom and what we know about Vought and just being a superhero that's visible in the world as a woman but I think there's kind of a, a connective tissue between both of them of like not being able to give yourself happiness you know yeah. and always having to kind of hold the line for everybody else and be the strong one. And, um, and sugar is just a small way of like treating yourself, but it's the kind of thing that is really easy to take away, you mm -hmm. know, and, and be good, you know? Um, I've been watching a lot of physical recently too, which is a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of eating disorder stuff in it. So <laughs> it's been on my mind, which just want to say physical is a great show and I want everybody to watch it. So if you're listening to me, watch physical. It's so good. Um, Listen to your podcast on this. Exactly. <laughs> on this very station. Yes. Yeah. Uh, White Ladies in Crisis Physical. Um, is there anything else we want to say about MM other than I just love him? Loved him. Loved yeah. the wet wipes. Oh, me too. Are you dry wiping? <laughs> <laughs> Which was oh. like, I was like, oh, I guess I've never thought about it. I never thought right. about it either. I was like, oh. Thanks for that. But I mean, he's probably right, you know. Oh, I'm sure he's right. No, <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Also, another thing I meant to mention with Annie is, and there's not a whole lot to say about it, but we see her want to be a hero and not able to. And I think that kind of shows growth, you know, like she is restraining herself because she knows those people are going to get help. There's really nothing yeah. she can do and her stepping in and being the visible hero is going to backfire. So, right. All right. Well, let's talk about Butcher. And before we talk about Butcher, let's talk about Grace Mallory, because she's yeah. the one that kind of sparks this. And I love this conversation with her. This might be the most we've learned or saw about her, you know. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about how you're feeling about Grace. I mean, I liked this moment with her because I felt like she finally kind of let her guard down a little bit. Like I, we've seen her and she is like, giving me like such you know just badass bitch mm -hmm. vibes like she is just like tough and you know butcher respects her so much clearly like they have such a history and she's been so like firm and strong with him and here i think you know she's at a memorial for the the victims of stormfront's rampage mm -hmm. um who they blamed on you know kimiko's brother Angie, yeah. but and she's basically talking about how she's feeling so guilty about all the people that she couldn't help in one way or another that have died because of soups mm -hmm. and she leaves the conversation by just giving butcher like the location of becca mm -hmm. for nothing 
and I, you know, Butcher's like, well, like I didn't hold up my end. Like we messed up. And she, I think she's just reached a point where she's like, it's fine. Like, I don't care. Like, yeah. just, I'm just, I'm just helping you and you don't have yeah. to do anything for it. <laughs> it's just the right thing to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think before she has wanted to stay out of it, but I think she is wanting to kind of move the goal forward a little bit, like move mm-hmm. towards taking Vought down. And now she feels kind of hopeless in this moment too. And I don't necessarily think she is, but she feels like she's not thinking about the mission right now. She's just thinking about like, like she says, just one less person who died because of something related to me, you know? Yeah. Well, because yeah. I, she genuinely didn't think Becca was still alive. Right. Exactly. And so I mm-hmm. think she feels super guilty about the fact that she was using Becca as kind of like a pawn to get Butcher to do, you know, go after Homelander and sort of mm-hmm. do these things using Butch or using Becca as sort of the, you know, the excuse and the motivation for that. And then when she's like, oh shit, this woman's still alive. Mm-hmm. Like he was kind of right all along. And like, she was just, I mean, she's been gone for years. Like we yeah. could have found her earlier, mm-hmm. but we just kind of wrote it off and assumed she was dead. Yeah. And so I think that she feels really guilty about that. That Butcher has been kind of like suffering with this thought for so long. Mm-hmm. And she didn't really, I guess, investigate it maybe as much as she should have. Yeah. Well, and let's let's talk about Butcher because he gets this location and he is off immediately. He put I don't think we really see much of him interacting with the boys in this episode except to put him yeah. in charge. Um and then he finds her and they have the sweetest reun like reunion. It's so sweet. I can't fucking say words today. I don't know what's up. <laughs> it's because of all the hooking up in this episode. I'm just I'm, you know, I don't know. I know. It's so sweet befuddled that's the word I'm looking for um but yeah we see him and Becca and one of the things so maybe we can kind of talk about both of them because there's not really a whole lot to say about Butcher aside from Becca in this episode Mm -hmm. but I think the thing that really struck me with Becca is when she goes up to the camera and shows them the cigarette and the lighter and that's what she has to do to get 10 minutes away from being on a surveillance camera and I don't think I had realized until this point how like how much under a microscope she is all the time and how awful that must be you know yeah and it seems like she's like on a a compound by themselves it seems like Like, we know they have a piano teacher but like yeah no kids around you know or just you know kind of like not actors but like Vought approved people that it's like a false community or something like they're so isolated it's very Truman show you know yeah like imagine living your life that way for you know eight nine years Mm -hmm. (laughs) with this kid and just being separated and like the man you love you don't even like he doesn't even know you're alive it's just wild yeah and a kid who is the son of your rapist you know and I mean (laughs) yeah I think she really loves Ryan, but I think it's probably been a long journey to get to this eight-year-old kid where she, because you know, when the baby is young, you don't get anything back. They just need to eat and feed and to just, I don't know, be saddled with all of this. It just feels awful. And, you know, she's not mm-hmm. getting, she like, he's all she has to talk to, you know, other than the security guards yeah. that she can yell at, you know, it just, yeah. she talks about being June Cleaver just 
all the time, which I can't imagine what kind of pressure that would be. And also, she's priding herself in raising Ryan. And Mm -hmm. I think she is doing a very good job. But how much empathy can you actually teach him if he is only seeing like two people and they're adults who have no other job than to cater to him, you know, or support him, you know? Oh, yeah. Just social skills. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. It's kind of how like we're going to have, well, even right now, like my niece was born like july of 2020 so mm-hmm. it was still like you know in the the throes of deep you know covid kind of stuff and just how she was around basically just my sister and my brother-in-law and my my parents and like that was it for like a year mm-hmm. <laughs> and oh. now you know she's still around family and stuff but it's been interesting to see just sort of her slowly start to interact more and more with other kids and people in the public and it's like oh man just like the socialization and just not having other people to interact with like that's gotta do something to you (laughs) yeah I always say when I used to teach elementary school I'd say like 50% of what we teach is the content and the other 50 is how to be at school around other people you know yeah realize that you have to take turns and that your needs are not the most important but I will say given the environment she's doing a really great job you know yeah and I think that that's something that I don't think Butcher fully understands and you can't blame him because he doesn't obviously have any kids and he's been so focused on her the whole time that Mm -hmm. you know Ryan coming into the picture I feel like he'd never really really grasped the the weight of that yeah until now because like he basically tries to get her to escape with him Mm -hmm. and Becca turns him down (laughs) yeah and I think she's I don't think she's wrong you know no because I she clocks it that butcher basically is implying like uh, kind of it comes off like wait you don't like Ryan's not coming right and then Mm -hmm. he's like no that's not what I know he could come Mm -hmm. exactly yeah (laughs) And I think she thinks that he or he thinks she's just going to le- want to leave everything about this life behind. Yeah. And that's the thing that is so tricky about, I think, having a child born of rape is that you it is still your child, too. You yeah. Know? And you do love this child. You've raised this child and she can't leave, just leave him behind, you know. And she makes another good point, too. Like, if I abandon him, he is just going to be another homelander. And then we have mm-hmm. two homelanders. So. Like one, right. she has this responsibility to this child she gave birth to, and two, mm-hmm. she has a responsibility to the world to raise this person with all of this power to be a good person. And just like, I don't know, I just think about, I always say Barbie, but like I think about how much weight we are putting on this one person and it just, yeah. it's not fair because she has to give up everything. Like she has to give up her happiness. It also sounds exhausting. Like, what kind yeah. of life would that be? It's oh not like God. they're like 18 years old or like, yeah, let's just like hop on some trains and mm-hmm. like, you know, just be like little crust punks and live in the woods. Like, yeah. she's like, I'm too old for this shit. Like, I'm a woman. Like, right. no, yeah. just, like, what life am I going to leave? Where are we going to go that they're not going to find us eventually? And like, I have a child. Like, what kind of life is that? Yeah. And so, I, yeah, it's rough, but I think that, I mean, I get it. Yeah. And I also think she is right. Like, they are not going to let him go. And if Ryan escaped too, 
all of Vought, like, or Mm -hmm. every possible person they could put on this would be hunting them down and Butcher would be dead. And I think he knows that too, you know. Um, Um, when she, okay, so she gives us little kind of, she lets Butcher in on what she had to do. Oh my God. Oh, (laughs) to keep, to keep herself and, and Ryan safe. Yeah. If Homelander hurt Butcher, she would kill herself in front of Ryan and her last words would be, your father did this. And in my notes, I just wrote, holy shit. Like, just to think about, because to think about what it would take for her to threat, convincingly threaten to do that also, because she cares about Ryan too, you know? Yeah. And I, and the fact that, you know, Homelander clearly believed her. Yeah. Because he, that's how Homelander got away or whatever. Mm -hmm. Butcher. And, oh yeah, yeah, Butcher got away. And obviously, you know, part of him knew what damage that would do to his relationship with Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, it seems like, I think part of the reason Homelander has been so cranky and moody in this episode is because Ryan rejected him in the last episode. I think that's still kind of weighing on him a little bit. Like, he has yeah. failed in this fatherly thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that relationship does really mean a lot. And I also think there's, like, if I were Becca, you know, it's partly, I've got a warm house and a soft bed, not only for me, but for my child tonight. Yeah. And I can hold this together for a little bit. And I, it's like the devil you know versus the devil you don't. And I don't know what mm-hmm. Butcher's going to do. And then we see butcher call him what a, a fucking soup freak and yeah so, not smart no Bush, no don't talk about people's kids they they say that on you know the real housewife shows all the time yeah you don't talk about people's kids right yeah but i think <laughs> at least he said it before they left you know like yeah she was right and she should not have left and i can't imagine how hard of a decision that was because we get this really sweet scene with them. And I like, mm-hmm. like, it's contrasting it with the scene with Annie and Huey. It feels so, like, passionate and immediate. Whereas Annie and Huey's feel so, like, warm and, like, stabilizing, you know. But to see them just kind of smoking a cigarette together and just kind of yeah. being the couple we have, like, assumed they used to be, you know. Mm-hmm. It's really sweet. It is disappointing to hear Butcher say that, though, because it's like, dude, this kid is also like your wife's kid. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and it's not like she cheated, you know, like Mm -hmm. he knows what happened. But I also think she says some other interesting stuff about Butcher, too. Like your hate started before me. You know, this is. I became the thing that you could channel it into. And it's kind of like what I was kind of hinting at earlier is like she didn't want him to know she was alive because she wanted him to move on because she knew he would, she knew what it would do to him to know that she was still out there. That's why she didn't go to him when she found out she was pregnant. And that is, I think we have seen kind of his recklessness and the kind of emotional labor it takes to kind of deal with Butcher. Yeah. And I think we're seeing, that it cost Becca something too. As much as I do think they had a great relationship, like I could imagine Butcher would not be an easy person to love, you know? That is so hard to hear. Like, I just like imagining being Butcher and somebody you love coming to you and saying like, 
I couldn't come to you. I would I would yeah. have rather have gone to Vought mm -hmm. your you mortal enemy, literally, you know. Yeah, because I knew how you would react. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's you know, and she's not wrong. She's not, yeah. But also just like oof. Oof. That's mm -hmm. that's that's gotta be hard to hear. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think it really throws him for a loop and I think it's going to be um, interesting and heartbreaking to see what happens going forward. Yeah. What do you do? Exactly. What do you do when like you, you like think like, ha ha, I fulfilled my mission. I found right. her. I've saved her. And then she's like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Well, what's <laughs> going to drive him forward now? You know? Well, exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like you've lost your, you know, your, north star like now what you're just going to be drifting at sea for a while i think and I'm, i don't know what his um what that's going to do to him especially hearing it from her it's not even hearing it from homeland it's not here you know it's hearing it literally from her her mouth saying these kind of harsh truths that he needed to hear but just like i i don't know how that's good. i feel like that's not going to be good yeah and i mean i'm saying this all obviously knowing what's going to happen so i'm kind mm -hmm. of I don't think devil's advocate is quite what I'm doing, but I also think like if he's not butcher because of Becca, what made butcher? Like what, what was it that made yeah. him be like this? You know? Well, let's talk about Maeve. Yeah. Oh, and we've already talked about Homelander outs her and, oh, it just, it is like a gut punch, you know? Although, it might end up being better for her in the long run, but her immediate thought is you're going to kill Elena. Cause that, and I think that's where we kind of talked about if this was more of a pop claw situation. And I think here mm -hmm. we see, no, she does really love Elena. She was really afraid, even though I do think that was part of the equation, you know? Yeah. She, she doesn't lie to him. You know, she finally kind of admits like, yes, we're together. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love her, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. yeah, I just, the betrayal, I think, of having Homelander out her like that. Because he's, yes, he's done a, a million awful things that she hasn't agreed with. Mm -hmm. But he's never betrayed her personally like that. So not, not a smart move, I think, on Homelander's part. Yeah. Because she was probably the only person in that room that actually cared about him yeah. in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And I'm not quite sure if she's ever going to look at him the same way. Mm -hmm. um, and also, man, I'm not sure what the uh, the response to this news will be. Because also, based on their history, the fact that Homelander was willing to say these things because we had talked about like how it reflected on him, right? Because they yeah. were a romantic couple at one point. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, if she's a lesbian, what is that? I mean, it's kind of like, I kept thinking of Seinfeld during this episode in a couple different ways. Mm -hmm. Like one, you know, where Jerry is like dating Janine Garofalo and they oh, realize yeah. <laughs> like they're just like dating each other. Like he's like, oh, she's just like me. It's kind of uh -huh. like, oh, <laughs> they're like, this doesn't work. You're just, yeah. you're just like, I'm just dating myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Ooh. Yeah. And it's like how George, you know, like Susan went and became a lesbian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, he like couldn't handle that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, for somebody like Homelander, 
I, that must feel very emasculating, you know, but if he can be the one to say it, yeah, and just give the news so that the world immediately knows he's in control of this. I think that maybe softens yeah. the blow to him a little bit like, oh, after Homelander, I didn't want men anymore, you know, which is not the case. We know that's not the case, but that's how Homelander is going to believe people see it because that's the kind of person he is, you know, and I think this gives him control of the narrative in a way that is bullshit and very selfish. Yeah. But that's who Homelander is. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's, <laughs> let's skip to shock and awe because I want to kind of end with our one theme that we're talking about. Cause I think it kind of wraps up everything that we are talking about in this episode. Yes. Let's talk about, uh, speaking of dating yourself, <laughs> woo, talk me through this scene at the very end. Another scene where I really wish we were watching together. Also, I'd forgotten about this. Um, okay. So the, the doppelganger Homelander mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. So doppel- yeah, doppelganger, uh, turns into Homelander cause he realizes that that's probably, the only thing that Homelander really wants. Yeah. Oh, in lingerie so too, which I loved seeing Anthony Starr in some lingerie. That was really fun. <laughs> yes. And, Ooh. um, you know, I think that at first he was kind of into it for a yeah. minute. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Doppelganger was saying all the right things, uh-huh. I feel like, doing doing his Doppelganger thing. But ultimately, I think it just came down to Homelander can't even deal or look at himself. Yeah. Yes. And is just like so, has so much self-loathing. Which, okay, this is going to sound awful, but I feel like, okay, so he ends up killing Doppelganger Mm -hmm. as, you know, who's currently looking like Homelander. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that had to be almost cathartic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe he is like symbolically killing a piece of himself because as he does it, he says, I don't need everyone to love me. So and I had written down like, is this the epitome of a narcissist? You know, Yeah. but I think he is trying to shed that piece of himself, you know, which in a bubble for a good character Mm -hmm. is good. Mm -hmm. But. For Homelander, you know, I don't feel like there's yeah. ever any good for Homelander. Yeah. Um, it's like he, I mean, that that part that we were seeing earlier with him kind of needing that validation from, you know, pseudo Madeline. It's like he's just completely shutting that door yeah. and being like, I need no one. Mm-hmm. Like, just nope. Like, his heart is just ice, just completely frozen over at this point, it feels like. and Yeah. Which is funny because that's where we see Annie end the episode too. I feel like in very different ways, but they are also, I can't count on anybody. It's just me. Yeah. I've just got me, you know? Yeah. And it's, I, I love this performance by Anthony Starr. And I know I constantly am talking about how great he is, but he can be so charming. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen him be very charming. It was really interesting to see him in a submissive role as just in this brief little doppelganger scene. Right. Um, but I think he is so scary in this episode. Like he just completely turns all of his warmth off. He is just like you walk into the room and you're just like, oh, he's going to kill me. Like he's just got this yeah. look in his eyes. He's such yeah. a good villain. And this performance is just so good. 
yeah, he has such good control over his face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yes. Oh, oh my god, he really can like kill you with a look. Like, right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's talk about. We've already talked about the candy because that was another shocking moment <laughs> yeah. for me, and I was like, "Fucking Charleston Chew, what? Are you ninety? Um. Let's talk about yeah. the love interviews because this this episode begins very much like when Harry met Sally, with uh, except I guess those are couples, but it's women mm. talking about these horrific guys they've been dating, like the Ed Sheeran tattoo. <laughs> like oh, um. But what we find out is that at the very end of the episode, we find out that the Deep is the one behind all of this, and he is auditioning for his very own Tom Cruise, Katie Holmes' wife. Yeah. Um, and lady, creepy lady, creepy librarian lady, even says, this is not a wife for you to be happy with. The point of this marriage is to rehabilitate your image and get you back in the seven, which I think is so, I mean, they're saying it behind closed doors, but they're yeah. saying the quiet part out loud, which I think is so interesting and, and poor deep. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure where these little like snippets were leading. Yeah. As they were like kind of dropped in the episode. And, you know, we see a couple of different things. Yeah, we see the Ed Sheeran gal, who I think it's like, you know, we've all been there. Oh, uh, yeah. And, you know, uh-huh. whether or not I'm it's pulling my, I'm showing you my Seinfeld tattoo. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> you know, it's like we've all done things for oh, somebody yeah. else that were like, oof, that was, that was dumb. Yeah, there are um, a lot of stinkers out there, you know? <laughs> you know, so I feel like she was like a very relatable gal. Mm-hmm. And then we get another gal who seems uh, a little, who has a very intense idea of what love is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we also have a girl who claims to be a feminist, but was giving off very strong, like, just you know dead behind the eyes kind of like i will do anything to please my man yeah because that's what gives me happiness horny psychopath eyes yeah yeah and um not surprising that's no. deep <laughs> of course not yeah just proving that he, ultimately he's learned nothing <laughs> exactly and he cannot be trusted with major decisions <laughs> yes oh but yeah, and so it's it's Cassandra who is the one that they end up choosing, although we don't see how that plays out. But oh, I, it's I'm it's interesting that this is the route they're going, and I guess it makes sense because it's mm-hmm. like okay, so if this guy was a womanizing abuser, you know, taking advantage of women and just devaluing women and all of that fun fun stuff, mm-hmm. well, if he gets married. You know, like clearly he it just it just took the right woman to mm-hmm. reform him. And so that's who they're gonna and they're gonna hook him up with a woman who is perhaps just most likely to get absolutely obsessed with the deep and just yeah. do anything for him. And um, who is already a member of this church so that they already have control over her, you know. Yeah. And I'm assuming these women know what's going on here probably like audition auditioning basically like mm-hmm. it sounds like that's what they're doing yeah um maybe not stated but i think they can probably suss it out maybe except for that last yeah. one i don't know how much he's got going on upstairs <laughs> yeah i don't <laughs> oh i know poor, oh. poor girl i hope she finds a hot yeah. man <laughs> i know i mean oh but it is 
man, the deep, if I told you what was going to happen in the deep story, you would not believe me. <laughs> so just saying, we, we got a wild ride ahead of us and I just love it. Every minute of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, deep has learned to nothing. Yeah. Um, also like, why does this church care so much about getting him back in the seven? Yeah. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I guess we're probably going to find out. Cause it's like, why are they going to such lengths to help him? Like, exactly. this is more than just like, oh, there's this vulnerable person that I think I want to help. Like what it kind of honestly felt like at first with Eagle. And now it's like, wow, they're going to hook him up with a wife. They're like really trying really hard to get him back in the seven and get him out of Sandusky. Right. Exactly. He's he's, he's a useful himbo, you know, like it's and it's almost feels like I don't know if they have a plan, but they know that getting the deep to rely on them is going to benefit them in some way. And so let's get our claws into this one. Cause he's going to be able to rise high. I guess. Can you imagine putting all like your hope in the deep? hopes and dreams like... on deep? Yeah. Who like catapults dolphins out of a truck window. Yeah, Like, Ooh, I don't uh, know. Maybe know. you should call up a train. I feel like he has more <laughs> hopes than the deep. Oh Yeah. All right. Well, let's go. Let's backtrack a little bit. We'll go back to good versus evil because this feels a li- we've already talked about you in Starlight. These are the things I put on there. You in Starlight, Hero So White, and um, Liberty. Side note, I almost moved to Raleigh. It's a lovely town. I enjoyed, mm-hmm. I guess, kind of seeing it, even though I'm not sure that was actually Raleigh. But um, so you have connection, love, and sacrifice, which I love that as kind of a wrapper to this episode. Yeah, it just kind of seemed like such an interesting episode that kind of explored these ideas and sort of how they can look different for everyone. Like we see so many different versions of like what connection looks like (laughs) in some wild Mm -hmm. ways that we're seeing, like what that can look like and just kind of the sacrifice that a lot of these characters have given up um, in the name of love and that not all sacrifices occur by choice. Mm -hmm. You know, like I don't like with Becca, I don't think she wants to you know cut butcher loose but like she is willing to do that for her child and knows that that's probably the best decision at this moment in time Mm -hmm. um but that's not you know a a choice that she would want to make and obviously she didn't really have a choice in the you know how her son was conceived and it's just i i just really and even like mm and starlight i just appreciated just all these little nuances and how all of these superheroes and humans alike are just, you know, seeking connection in different ways and how that's all a big motivating factor in their lives. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, I thought it was very well executed that they were kind of playing with these ideas. I agree. For such like a big show, you know, yeah. like a big, like bombastic show. This feel, felt like such like a vulnerable episode. You know, we really got to see a lot of people at their lowest and at their most honest. And I think we learned a lot about characters that we that we hadn't known before, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree. It's um, it I mean, technically, I guess it's a moving the plot forward episode. But I feel like a lot of these conversations and these interactions are as important as like the whale or as some of the other things that we've seen so far this season. Mm-hmm. It's also just nice to see. I remember there when we were watching Sons of Anarchy, there was one episode and it just ended and they were all just driving down the road happy. And I was like, <laughs> they're happy. 
Yeah. And it's just nice to see some of them, like, get to, to quote Supernatural, it's just nice to see a win every once in a while, you know? Yeah, or, like, a reminder, like, why. Yeah. Like, these characters are doing things, or, like, reminder, like, why they're together, or, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, just, just seeing sometimes... them be able to, like, take their foot off the brake for just, or the gas for just a minute and just kind of relax for a minute, you know, eat a donut. You know. Yes. No. Exactly. Is you know uh, we see this in movies and stuff all the time where it's just like action, 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 and then it's like a huge exposition dump. But it's like okay, right? That right. feels a little like off-putting. But like, mm-hmm. and while I think that this episode is a little bit of an exposition dump, it feels earned. It feels yeah. valid. I feel even closer to these characters than I was before and like genuinely invested in these relationships even if they didn't all turn out kind of how we uh, me anyways like thought they might have at this point yeah yeah and so we're this was episode four we're heading into the back half of the season because there are eight episodes in this season and you know I just want to say to some of these characters just enjoy these moments Okay. <laughs> some shit's about to go down. <laughs> um, I won't say anything else, but you know, we've seen the first season. We know that the um, boys, the boys doesn't pull their punches. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's choose our fighters. So Rachel, who is your MVP of the episode and why do you love them? Okay. So my MVP is Homelander. <laughs> um <laughs> Just because I found him to be genuinely disturbing Mm -hmm. and just the biggest asshole and terrifying. And I, you know, just think that it was such a great performance. And he, I mean, this is a big episode for Homelander. I feel Mm -hmm. like he went through a lot and Anthony Starr did an incredible job at each of those moments. Like no notes, five stars. (laughs) Totally agree. My heart wants to give it to M.M. just because I feel like we finally do get a little more. But I think Homelander is really the key in this episode. And I think, you know, Randall has been saying, Randall Colburn from Losers Club, who guessed it on our season one recap episode. Listen, if you haven't, um, who he is saying, like, this is one of the best performances on TV right now. And I, I really agree. And I think it's easy to overlook it because he's constantly in a superhero costume, you know, but like. Right. He is really pulling out some drastically different emotions. And he's gorgeous while doing it. Yeah. Too, so. And it's it's kind of that thing that we see with horror, too, all the mm-hmm. time where, like, you know, superhero movies and action movies and horror movies, they often get overlooked for various things, yep. performances, stories, like, all, I mean, every category. They get overlooked, I think, because they're typically kind of looked down upon when it comes to, like, cinema and mm-hmm. performances and you know, that kind of thing. But it's like, no, he's like really doing some incredible work. He really is. And I think compared to like in a show like this, where we've got storylines like Huey's and Butcher's, where they're really having to like deal with some really heavy emotions. It's easy to forget that Homelander is also dealing with some very heavy emotions. They're just terrifying. And that is equally impressive. You know, it's almost like the ingenue is harder to play sometimes because you got to make them interesting, you know? And I think mm-hmm. he just, he's just killing it on this show. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. Although I will give a shout, I think what I want to give a shout out to is um, the writing for MM, you know? Yeah. Like more of this, please. I love this character. Yes. And I yeah. like seeing neurodivergent people on, on television shows too, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, I mentioned we're heading into the back half of the season so and we're actually at the midpoint of the show 
at this yeah. point too. Um, right. Well, so far we know there's season four yeah. coming. Rachel, what do you think might happen next, and what are you excited to see? Okay, so I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> Sorry, I can't I wait for a deep wedding. <laughs> like I know that it's you know wrong and awful under the circumstances of it being sort of a, a arranged marriage kind mm-hmm. of thing. But I definitely want to see him in like a wetsuit tuxedo. <laughs> you think it'll be at SeaWorld? He'll have like yeah, maybe, dolphin oh best God, men. Dolphins like jumping. What if he has like? Wait, no, not penguins. Those are. <gasps> we could have penguins though. They're aquatic. <laughs> they're in, like they're like you know in their tuxedos. Yes, they're his best men. Oh, maybe he yeah, would have a just, fish as a best man, you know, because who else would know, do it, you know? Yeah, and so I I actually really want to see that. Yeah, I, I hope this too. wedding is televised. I'll tune. <laughs> I'll t- tune in. Um, I'm also. Yeah, very curious to know how Liberty slash Stormfront, you know, is like her secret to staying so snatched in the mm-hmm. face. And even though she's like 70 years old, she's looking great. Yep. So, yeah, kind of curious to see. Is it just the V? Is it something else? <laughs> I'm is it the blood of virgins she's been bathing in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which oh, could oh. be, honestly. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. Who knows with her? Mm-hmm. I am not necessarily looking forward to seeing A-Train post seven, not because I don't want to see A-Train, but uh, I'm worried about what the next phase of A-Train's career and life looks like. And yeah. I'm kind of finding myself rooting for him. <sighs> and I hope that he... I hope he does okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's where I'm at with A-Train. I also predict that Butcher is going to be uh, even a little bit more reckless than usual, having now kind of lost his mission and motivation. Well, once again, I will not comment on any of this, <laughs> <laughs> Um. but it's going to be good and I can't wait to talk about it with you. Um. Let's wrap up with some plugs. Rachel, where can we find you and what do you have coming up? Yeah, so you can find me Instagram and threads at the vinyl girl, G-R-R-R-L, and um, everywhere else at just vinyl girl. Um, got some cool stuff coming up on the Halloweenies, some more Chucky related content, making our way down to Cult of Chucky. We're going to talk about some cults, which I also love talking Ooh, about. So that'll be fun. really fun. Mm-hmm. Cult, cults are fun. Um, I mean, not to be yeah. in one to talk about. No, but to talk about, especially yeah. when it comes to movie depictions yes. of cults and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, you can find the Halloweenies over on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Wait, and you can find me at Jim Ferratu on uh, just social media places. And you can find me hosting the Losers Club. We just did um, our episode on Holly. That was really fun. I think me and Rachel might be talking about Holly again soon. So stay mm-hmm. tuned for that. And um, also, I mentioned it earlier, but also hosting the White Ladies in Crisis podcast, which is on this very podcast feed. We just, we have not dropped these episodes yet, although maybe by the time this episode is out, but I, we just fin- finished physical. It was so good. I cried. Mm. So good. I love the show so much. Um, so yeah, check that out. And writing in, uh, lots, it's about to be spooky season and there's a lot of shit going on, but we will post it all on our socials. Um, and that's it for this episode of the Girls on the Boys. Huge thank you and shout out to the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. Make sure to check out the other fantastic shows in that feed. And we will be back in your ears two weeks from now to talk about episode five. We gotta go now. And again, I'm gonna need some more creativity with these titles. 
That's part of the reason I wrote the Almond Joy thing, because I was like, at least that's fun. Anyways, yeah. I, I guess it'll be about going now or whatever. Um, in two weeks. Um, we're also working on maybe a couple of guests, so uh, keep your ears open for that, too. But until then, remember, you guys, you're the real heroes. Squad.